0: And what we have here in our text for today, First Corinthians four, is uh, is God who uh, who inspires the apostle Paul to clarify to a very very confused church how they're supposed to relate to one another. Uh, we have a big problem in life, and that is uh, we we were given something by God, and we want it to be something different. Uh, we are given servants of God, and we want them to be celebrities. We are, given, uh, we are given a task of God or resources of God, and we want it to be something bigger or better. We have this habit, uh, you and I, and especially the Corinthian church, of taking the good things of God and, and, and turning those into further requests for something better. And right here in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul uh, breathes a word onto us. Uh, uh, and that word is, be satisfied with what you have and rightly uh, align yourselves to the relationships you have, especially with church leaders. Um, so I want to read uh, just a, a very small part of this passage. Uh, we're going to work through the whole, whole passage together, and then I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll urge us toward these right relationships. This starts here in 1 Corinthians 4. I'm only going to read the first two verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into the whole thing. Uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And I'm going to jump ahead to verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you speak to us in ways that we don't normally speak, in ways we don't normally think, and you do so with an intended effect to make us think and speak a lot like you. And we thank you for this. This passage is challenging. Uh, it's vivid with its imagery. Uh, and it's, it's warm and stern all at the same time as you, our Father, so wonderfully teaches and instructs us. We pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would open our minds and our hearts to receive this word. That it might change us. That we might understand the church better. We might understand church leadership better. That we might um, even find a sense of peace whether we've thought wrongly about church leadership, whether we've been hurt by church leadership, or whether we just don't even know (laughs) what we're even talking about right now. I pray that you would help us all move toward a right understanding of the gospel and that at the very center of it would always be Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins and resurrected for the newness of life. We thank you for today and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Corinthians here, as we've been in this uh, series in 1 Corinthians, we'll be in it for a lot longer as well. Uh, this, in this series, we've been, been looking at this church that's gone sideways. Uh, the Corinthian church, uh, they had an idea, they had half a thought about what they should do with church. And, uh, and then they uh, threw in a whole bunch of other thoughts, and, and now they've got this uh, hot mess. And, uh, and, and Paul knows this. Uh, Paul says, this is, uh, this is not Okay. Uh, we're not doing this right. Interestingly enough, just to, just to give you a little bit of, you know, understanding how to, how to read the Bible here. Um, if you have a paper Bible, I strongly encourage paper Bibles, probably because I'm like an old soul. But if you have a, you can scroll there too. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is going to be really helpful for you. Uh, there's, a, there's a phrase that starts uh, 1 Corinthians 7. It says, now concerning the matters which you wrote. Okay, that's really huge. Now concerning the matters of which you wrote, this is where, in, in chapter 7, this is where Paul is going to start answering what sounds like a bunch of questions that, that the people were asking. So what do we do with 1 Corinthians 1 through 6 then? Uh, like, why didn't he just get to answering the questions? If you know Josh Casey, you would say, probably because he just always has a huge story of a setup before he answers a question. That's not exactly how Paul works. He has a purpose in this. Um, he has a purpose of this, and his purpose is because the people aren't ready for him to answer their questions. They've asked questions that are so alarmingly off that show this, this boasting, this, this contentiousness, this pride, this arrogance, this building up celebrity culture that they're asking questions because they, that they want to answer uh, one way or the other to say, am I right or am I wrong? Is this guy good or is this guy bad? Who's winning this rat race within the church? He's like, whoa, 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 guys, this is bonkers. We actually have to have a different conversation before I can even answer your question. So in chapters 1 through 6, Paul is explaining what we need to be thinking before we even get to thinking about the details. And so he's in this right now. Uh, and, he's in, and the big themes that he's been talking about is, um, you, uh, you Corinthians, you have been enriched. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 5. You've been enriched with all wisdom and all, uh, all eloquence, all, all speech. Uh, you're smart. You're successful. You, you, you're, 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 you're top of your game in the community around you. But what that's done to you is that's made you do church in a weird way because you are so successful in the world around you that you thought that just copying that success over in the same systems in the same ways was going to make your church successful. But that, that ain't how God works. <laughs> this thing is weird. And so we can look at the Corinthian church uh, one, and say, okay, okay, man, this is a mess. Let's see how he we, how we, how we proposes to fix this. But there's something that's beautiful when we read the Bible, when we see people being corrected, that's really helpful for us to walk in step with the Spirit and just assume maybe parts of, the, parts of what he says are also parts of us. And he's speaking to our hearts. It might not be the case, but maybe it is. And I, think, I don't think that there's a lot of harm that happens if we just at least— Assess ourselves as we look at the Corinthian church, so that's what we're going to, I'm going to invite you to do, um, and I'm going to speak as that. so what is the answer to this immediate momentary boasting in celebrity culture within the church that's what's happening here in the Corinthian church. so what is what is the uh, solution that Paul is going to put forward? He puts something forward that's much bigger than nah, guys, just follow me guys you know <laughs> he, he doesn't answer the question, he gives them a framework, and that framework is i 'm going to use some big words here because this is what Paul is doing almost. Always, is that he is going to urge them to big words here uh, an eschatological cruciform discipleship. I'm going to pack that real fast. Uh, discipleship is that that constant striving towards being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. So he says, you 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 move into that. You always are trying to become more and more like something better. And then that cruciform—that means the shape of the cross. So, uh, in the humility, in the weakness, in the uh, in the uh, in the frailty, in the obedience that Christ had in the cross, move toward that in your heart. So as you are constantly discipling, being formed, do that with humility. In light of then that big one es- eschatological—it's uh, the end times thing. That day is coming when God will judge. That day is coming when God will glorify. That day is coming when all of the work will be tested by fire and we will see what stands. It says, always be looking longingly, hopefully for that day. And why can you look longingly, hopefully for that day of judgment and fire? Because you're working on doing what is good and lasting now. If you're building on a foundation of Christ in a way that lasts, bring the heat. (laughs) And and so that's his answer. If we are thinking that way, that there is a future coming, that Christ was on the cross, and that puts us here together, and if you haven't understood that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness in Christ on the cross, then it is all going to be foolishness to you. This is his argument. And so that's going to shape what you do today. So that's a huge overview, but I think a helpful, very helpful overview. Um, More helpful for you as you read the Bible uh, more and more. Um, But helpful for us today, because then he's going to say, then what do we do with leaders? Last week, uh, Pastor Wade uh, did a fantastic job of explaining some of that. He says, uh, he says here's, what it, here's the task of a worker. A worker waters, he plants, he waters, he builds, um, and that's what they do. Um, but now he's gonna answer the question, so if that's what their task is, and this is the big picture of how we're, how we're considering the end times and Jesus on the cross uh, already not yet state that we are in, He's going to ask the question, so how do we think about our leaders? If they're doing this task, how should we regard them? So I have three uh, ways here because Paul gives us three ways. Three images and encouragements that Paul gives us as we understand our leaders and, uh, and, the, and the responsibilities and relationship we have between each other. Uh, the first one is uh, verses five, uh, 1 through 5. He says, regard us as servants and stewards. It says, if each one's one's work will be tested by God by fire, this is chapter 3, verse 13, then uh, what does it say? In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, uh, then let each one take care how he builds upon it. So if they are building and it's their work to make sure that it's good, then it seems like the congregation or the church that's being built up has a little bit of a different role or approach as we assess those leaders. I I oftentimes think that um, in my own life, uh, I have adopted the position of, you know, like, um, what is it, American Idol. So I'm like Katy Perry or Christina Aguilera sitting there assessing, you know, sitting, watching, judging. Mm, I'm not sure I like that. I don't like the way they say it. was a little off pitch. That's not okay, That's not okay um, to, to say that kind of thing in a sermon, even if it's in the text or however. And I, I find that when we look at ways of judging and assessing um, what is good and what is bad, we oftentimes have a lot of, of boisterous, vivid, compelling examples for how to test, and he's saying that's not, that's not actually our, our job. I mean, there is. We need to assess who our elder qualifies in the task they're doing, and is it biblically faithful? That, that's a huge thing. He's going to get to that a little bit of just even sin and, and, and morality, immorality in the next chapter, but do we like a person or not? Does that matter as much? And it seems like he's suggesting maybe that doesn't matter. The personality doesn't matter as much as we have thought. We all have different approaches as we assess the leaders. And, you know, I'm going to, because 2020 has a weird definition at this point in America of leaders, I'm just going to go specific to what Paul means when he's talking about the leaders of the church. The workers of the gospel. There are many who could lead. There are few who actually are workers of the gospel. He says, don't judge us before the Lord comes. Verse 5, that's pointing to that end time. He says, if that end time is there and they will be judged, then don't judge. Don't judge. That means to decide whether you like them or not, whether you like their message or not. But verse 3, he says, uh, in in fact, all of that decision, all of that judgment, he considers a very small thing. I'm going to take you really fast through verses 4 through 5. He says, it's not human courts that will assess the merit of what Paul has to say. It's not uh, humans themselves and their opinions that will assess the merit of what Paul has to say. It's not even his own conscience. I think that's crazy. It says even my conscience can be deceptive to me sometimes because I am biased like every other human to be the hero of the story. And sometimes my conscience leans into that bias and I think I'm doing okay because I'm just justifying my actions. It said what then judges the workers of the gospel? All of these things are a very small thing in light of, it ends with, in light of the only legitimate tribunal court, that is God. In light of the fact that God will test it, Nothing else matters. So what does that mean for us? <laughs> a lot. As leaders, as preachers, as elders, as pastors, that means that we, when I look out at you, this assessment is good for me to know, is the word landing in your hearts? But this exercise we're doing right now is not a chance for me to grow my following me to get more likes, me to get more, uh, more, more people who, who love the way in which we do something. I am presenting as a steward, as a servant, the mysteries of God. I think that is an overwhelming thing. For me, I mean, if you're not overwhelmed, that's something I tell people. Like, hey, I want to be a pastor. I'm like, all right, your job, verse one, is to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God. Steward of the mystery of God, that's on my job description as a preacher-pastor. It's like, steward of mystery. What are the mysteries of God? How can we delve into these things? And then I have to take that abundance and steward it? And then my, the rest of my description is like, and other duties assigned. Like, <laughs> neat. That's, a, that's, that's great. Um, that's overwhelming. There's a weight there. I'm not saying, woe is me. I'm saying, this is awesome, but this is weighty. And so what does it mean for you? How, how, I'd Honestly, I'd encourage you, because I know I'm putting myself up there. I, I would encourage you, don't listen to people who aren't servants of Christ. <laughs> if they're just peddlers of themselves, uh, that's, that's a big red flag. A servant of Christ. A steward of the mystery of God. Do we have a bunch, of, uh, do we have a bunch of, of eggheads who are not teaching? Do we have a bunch of people who aren't even interested in the mystery of God? If you have leaders like that, call them out. Talk to them ask them further. Don't assume. We'll get there. Don't follow. I mean, that's kind of what he's saying here. If they are going to be tested, why continue to feed on hay and straw? It won't last. Why continue to drink milk? Let's mature. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So that's what he says. Regard us this way. And by regarding us this way, we are on a path from outward, fleshly, worldly impressions of just what we think of the person, how we perceive them, if they are like us or not. He moves us from this by, by looking at that final day. And he, uh, and he says that what would be tested then is the things that are hidden, the things that are in the dark, the motives of the heart. That's how we truly test our leaders. What are their motives? God or self? And he encourages us to leave uh, the internal motives and that judgment to God. And so there I would say for the church, don't assume motives. I think it's just a good principle in general in life, but don't assume motives. And maybe another one uh, would be by not assuming motives, then you go directly to the person. If you think there's Foul play. If you think that there's something uh, not going well, if you think someone is not being a ser- servant, or you think they have uh, ulterior motives, just go ask them. <laughs> I feel like we don't do that very much because we're Midwesterners and we just like would rather, like, we kind of start to gag and puke in our mouth when we think about confrontation like that. Uh, it's so awkward. It's right and good uh, to do that, to go directly to the person, not assuming motives. And then you can assess, as we're directed in Scripture, if their work is good, because Scripture is the test of that. God gives us the standard that he will test. Point two, then, uh, regard us as servants and stewards. Point two, observe us as exhibits and spectacles. This one's uh, <laughs> so good. It's one of those, uh, Mark Twain, he said one time, uh, you can't, uh, you can't uh, explain how to, uh, what the experience of holding a cat by the tail is in any other way than just handing someone the cat by the tail. And uh, and I love that expression there. Uh, Paul, in verses six through through thirteen, is one who has held the cat by the tail. He he understands what that feeling of servants and stewards are that many of us can't even relate to. But he does this in in an interesting way. As he as he moves from that day to the cross, he is going to move from this outward uh, this outward assessment to an interior motive assessment. What are the motives of people? But now he says, at the foot of the cross, what fruit do we see of these leaders? Do we see a humility, a weakness, a frailty? Do we see even a rejection of the world? Because they're saying things that are in contrast to the spirit of the day. The spirit through Paul now shifts the imagery from that day to the cross, and he changes the focus And in doing so, he addresses the arrogance of worldly wisdom and the wisdom of the cruciform life, that is, the the life in the shape of the cross. Those of the Corinthian church are enriched. He already says this. They're, They're top of society. And they have become rich as kings, as these verses here. I've applied these things to myself that you may learn uh, by us not to go beyond what is written and be puffed up in favor of one another. Their, 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 their richness, And verse 8, he says, you've already become as rich, rich like kings. He says, that became arrogant to you. You thought this was success. And where there is a divide, and we need to be careful to not just be here today and think God says a bunch of good things about our life and everything, and then, and then turn that off and go into every day and have a huge separation, which is what the Corinthian church was doing, They hear about God and Jesus and the foundation that's laid by Paul. He says these things. But then they go out and they gain their success in the world around them, irregardless of how they do it or if there are Christian principles there. That's one thing, and many of us do that. Sunday and every day are very different things. They're all the same, they should all be the same. He says they do something different, though, is that Sunday doesn't infuse, but rather everyday practices. Your business got big, your bank account got full. And you thought, I've got the secret sauce to the church. Their business practices, their cultural trends, their social groups, their networking, their, their social mobility, they figure that out. He says, you're rich like kings. I wish we could live in your kingdom because your kingdom seems to be working really well. I mean, he says that. He's being pretty dang sarcastic to him. And he says, but that's not how it works at all in God's church. And the reason why Paul is writing is because they took this wisdom into their church. They're trying to leverage the world to grow the kingdom. And that's not how it works. Verse 20, I've read it before. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You can talk a big game. You can tell me all these different resources I should go to. But there is power. And what is that power? He's already given us that answer. In chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Christ is the power of God. How does the church grow? How does the church build up? How do we move toward maturity? Christ, Christ, Christ. Forgiveness of sin, hope in the end, and a movement in a Christ-like way toward love of our neighbors. That's it. That's how the church grows. That's how it has always grown, and that's how it will continue to grow. The power of God is on display in a Christ-like, cruciform way, which Paul contrasts with all of these worldly metrics. He says, you are rich, but we are poor. We are fools, and you are wise. We are weak, and you are strong. We are held in honor, or you are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. He even gets to a point where he says, we are so ostracized that this world doesn't even feel like home. We are homeless. Are we there? Could we be that? A bunch of spiritually homeless people that actually have a home there, but we aren't finding friendly neighbors around us. That's the Christian's call. That's what it's been for centuries. That's what we are called to be. It shouldn't be surprising when we don't find a lot of friends, or we say that weird comment, and then the whole group is like, "Eh, party foul. (laughs) Not that we're supposed to go in and be jerks, because I don't see anything in here that says that we are over-the-top, over arrogant, strong, confrontational. We present Christ and Christ crucified, and that's a stumbling block to many. Basically, uh, Paul is telling them, your standards don't apply here. And we have a whole list of Beatitudes in, uh, in Matthew 5. About those who who grieve, those who mourn, those who are humble, and all of them are blessed. So observe us as exhibits and as spectacles. God has put us forward to be shamed by this world, so that you could see the true power of God moving. So uh, regard us as servants and stewards. Observe us as exhibits as spectacles, and then he says uh, he moves to this this fantastic image. He says, "Imitate us as fathers. Imitate us." as fathers. In verse 14, he says, I'm not doing this to shame you, but to admonish you, to warn you. Uh, uh, la- yesterday, my girls were putting on makeup. Uh, I was not putting on the makeup with them, um, which was probably part of the problem here, because one of them, uh, the two-year-old, uh, Evangeline, she decided that uh, maybe some lotion needed to go in the eyes and hear some scream, and the girls come down, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty intense, because I'm like, ah, they, she's gonna burn her eyes out. And, uh, and, uh, and so I, I tell Emma, you know, like, hey, get, get out of here. I need space. we got to you know, do this. And we, we clean it up. And it's, you know, it's really not that crazy. I'm sure. I'm sure many of you have done this before. Please tell me yes. Otherwise, I feel awful as a father. Um, <laughs> but you get done. And I tell Emma, I say, Emma, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't mad at you for being here or, or having this happen. It's just the situation was intense. And I needed you to move right now. And we got it done. And we're fine. No harm done. Nothing about you. You were just a thing in the way. And we talked about it. That is how a father, I think, should talk to his children. And here in 1 Corinthians, the children, like there's an urgent thing he sees. He is sorrowful for them. He says that day is coming, people. So we got to talk strong. We've got to be bold in what we say. We've got to be very clear. We're not messing around. There is an urgency here. And you see that. He says, some of you, though, have been puffed up in, uh, in, what is this, in verse 6, same word here. He says in verse 18, some of you are puffed up, are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. It says if you, if you have this situational uh, uh, preparation that, that you, you, you run your mouth and when the pastor comes by, you go, huh? new vocabulary, new topic, and we keep moving. And you do it. I know you all do it. Um, the, uh, uh, but it's a thing that people, people do. He says, if you can't even do that with a pastor, like me, do you not understand God is coming? Do you not understand that he is right there? So why don't we just act as though he can come into the room? If you've had kids, you know this, uh, this, this situation. When Dad, dad's coming home is a big deal. Uh, you know that uh, if you've ever been a procrastinator— Don't procrastinate. The test is tomorrow. The parents are coming home to see if you did your chores. I'll wait. I am going to take a moment here real fast. God, we pray that you would be with the uh, medics uh, and the people that are in need right now. pray that you would give them uh, wisdom and insight. As they're rushing off to the emergency right now, there's fear, uh, there's hurt right now. I pray that you would uh, bring hope and healing to the situation. Thank you for our medical workers. Amen. In verse 15, uh, he, says, uh, he says, Here's a problem, though. You don't know who your father is. Though you have countless, literally, the words there are uh, you have 10,000 guides. This book, that blog, this article, that podcast, this sermon, that preacher, that pastor—we do this too. You have all these people guiding you. Is that you don't actually have a father? You don't have spiritual fathers. It's as many spiritual fathers. It's not that you just pick one and you go. Um, you don't have spiritual fathers. We don't have intergenerational mentoring happening in our church so well because we don't even get that at a at a, at a. Um, at a cultural level. You know, I think that would have been something that I would say is if, if the Corinthian church that, you know, that we may be a bit of uh, has taken the world into the church, uh, we totally lost that, that, that part. We, uh, we, we, we don't understand even the generations as how they work together um, as, uh, as, our, as our society does and, and maybe doesn't uh, at times. All of that talk, though, is saying, You need to talk to people that aren't your same age. I mean, I I could give you a whole bunch of insights and wisdom on this, but this one's pretty practical. There is great wisdom in talking to people. I look out to to many of you. Uh, I've talked to kids here uh, that have given me great insight to the gospel, even if they didn't know it. I've talked to people my own age, people 10 years older than me, people 20, 30 years older than me. And uh, good night, God shapes the wisdom of his people through the experience of their days. And, uh, and I think that we need to be doing that a whole lot more. Um, I would encourage you, I know we have masks on or whatever, be looking and praying for someone uh, that is not your age uh, and be considering how we might speak to them. There's, uh, there, there have been uh, numerous stories I've heard of people over the summer uh, just reaching out to other people and talking, and it's something we need a whole awful lot. Sometimes it feels like we're, we're I, I think everyone could raise their hand and say, I'm a little lost. I feel like there's no gravity to 2020. I am certain in the uncertainty. I just, I just have no idea what's going on. Well, I think you could be certain that there are a whole bunch of people here that would love to talk uh, about real things. Um, that's, a, that's a huge task. That's the task we have of the church, whether it's COVID, uh, whether it's a church transition, whether it's, I don't know, to the people he's talking to, persecution, and they would be killed for their faith. Any of those situations, we can talk about Christ. We can know Christ crucified. And so that's where he says, he says, so imitate that. Uh, So in all of these, he's trying to calibrate us a little bit to our leadership. And he's saying, if they are servants and stewards, regard them that way. Think of them that way. As we consider a next lead pastor, make sure that they're a servant and a steward. As exhibits, as spectacles, look at them and see them. And, and, And do I want my kids to model themselves after this person. Be considering those things. Uh, and as fathers, that's something for all of us to do, to be those spiritual uh, mothers and fathers to those around us. So remember Paul is providing a gospel corrective pointing to the end goal of right regard, right boasting, right responsibility. And I guess the only, the only final point here is just, I mean, just some real talk is, this sounds really great and uh, I'm pretty aware that that many of us have experienced some form of bad church in our life at some point, um, or multiple at times. I know, uh, I know in different, in different uh, seasons I have. Um, but the bad church uh, is, is because God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to proclaim the gospel through relationships and a whole bunch of sinners. God loves the hot mess called the church. Uh, God is much bigger than uh, than whatever we can screw up, um, but it hurts. You may not have trust in leaders of past. You may uh, wonder about uh, what God's even doing and why the church even exists, or you might be rooting it secretly in your heart that, 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 that the church or any churches or just the idea of church just go away because it's more hurtful than it is helpful. Um, but honestly, don't put that on God. That's not, that's not a design. What I read in here is something beautiful and very different than what I see many times. Um, our sin is not the same as God's plan. And, uh, and when we get that confused when we think about church and church leadership, um, we kind of go a wrong way. I don't want to just uh, 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 push that under the rug. If there is hurt, there is real hurt. I, I, I think you can, can lament in that. Um, I think I would encourage go directly if you still can. I know there was years ago, decades ago, uh, just some weird stuff at the church that I grew up in. And I've had to talk to people and it hurts. And it just kind of leaves you like limping. (laughs) And sometimes you just have to love God with that limp.